जय
ಚಾಕ್ಷಿಮಿಲಿತ್ರಾಶ್ರೀಗುರಾಧಾಕುಂಡಿಬರಾಧಿಕಮಾಧಾಪಸ್ವಂತೋಷ್ಮಿ ಪಂಚಕಲ್ಪತರುಭ್ಯಶ್ಚಾಕೃಪಾಸುಂದುಭ್ಯೈವತ್ಪತೀತಾಪದಪಂಕಜಂತಿಮುಕ್ತಕು
Good morning. <clears throat> so today we are having, according to what I talked with Keshav Gopal, we are invited to share questions and answers, what we call sometimes Ishtagoshti, which basically has to do with, yeah, bearing our hearts and sharing whatever inquiries we may have, doubts, questions, challenges, whatever, in the context of, it's a typical way of, of interacting in our tradition, you, if you pay attention to how uh, books like Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam are framed, all of them are presented in this dynamic of questions and answers, questions and answers, and, and the two are crucial, because if we wouldn't have the, the questions of Arjun in the Gita, we wouldn't have the Bhagavad Gita. We have like a few verses and then Krishna is not talking, not, not talking anymore because Arjuna is not extracting from him further revelation because of his questions. So the similar thing happens in the Bhagavatam. Sukadev Goswami is speaking, but Parikshi Maharaj is further churning the ocean of his heart and his realization by presenting certain specific questions. And, and Sukadev Goswami, actually, although Sukadev Goswami is the guru in that particular situation, he feels deeply uh, grateful and indebted toward his disciple because oh, you are presenting such beautiful questions. So that inspires me to further share my heart with you in this unique way and in this unique type of answers that I didn't know they were there. So because of your questions, the questions act as a trigger or as what we may call in our tradition as an udipana or a stimulant to... Again, further turn the ocean of revelation. So that's a very unique type of exchange. So again, in which both need each other, so to say. Here I need your questions for me to be able to say something. <laughs> so that said, I don't know if you have any questions. The one especially giving priority to those who are present here today physically, but of course those who are connected online are also invited. But Ramdas has something to begin with. That's my question. Could the people on Zoom type something out and I can read them on your behalf? Of course, yeah. So whomever has a question, whether Zoom, whether any of the platforms we are streaming live now, you can share them. But again, those who are invited, present here physically are also invited to do so. If, if you have any questions, there are, there, are no, there are no full questions, just in case. <laughs> Sometimes we may feel a little intimidated. Like, oh, I have a question, but it's not the, the most fancy, fancy inquiry in the world. <laughs> but whatever is, is important for us, whatever we may need to, who may like to know more about or whatever, it's that's important thing. But also, don't feel forced to have a question. <laughs> that's another thing. I don't feel like I have I have to have a question because Maharaj is asking question. I can continue talking as you already start to know me. I have no problem continue speaking. Mm -hmm. So I can fill in in that case, but <laughs> I also want to be open to whatever inquiries may be there. <clears throat> Are we doing questions now? Yeah. Okay. I was just curious a lot of, I'm dealing with a lot of like personal things as I'm really transitioning and learning um, a lot about. Um, this path and my own path, and it's very connected to um, people that 
I've learned with and teachers, other teachers, yoga, and just like personal like life teachers, like people that I feel I might have a soul contract or some sort of alignment with. And it it is swayed into like really deep attachment and being here and practicing has um, reduced that attachment and it's refined it in a way that is more healthy where you pray for someone and hope that they can find God in, in whatever way works for them. Um, I find myself still um, distracted at times and, and you know, uh, as much as I do chanting and harikata and try to stay focused, um, it's almost like I'm questioning if I should have this concern because I, I want to in a year or two or however long be there in some supportive way to show them maybe this path or to show them chanting or something that, mm -hmm. um, or I question if it still is falling under this attachment that is um, pushing me back maybe from where I could be going. And mm. I do feel a strong love and connection to uh, certain people that um, I feel like I would like to know throughout my life, but then I'm also wondering if this is the time where I should actually like just try to let them go, even though that's not at all what I would think mm. was best as I've gotten to know them, you know, and it's uh, relationships are so important to me, but the relationship I have right now, you know, with Krishna and um, the other devotees are so, so important. So, just kind of like mm -hmm. out with the old and with the new or do I just kind of that's the type of attachment that I'm trying to like study about right now mm. so I'm just curious what thoughts mm. are on that mm. Mm. thank you for your question and of course as I always like to say uh, I think it went out just in case it's returning uh, of course we are I got to meet you yesterday, so I don't know you in detail and I don't know in detail the dynamics of your relationships and your inner world, so despite your question, and I say this in the sense that I don't like to give conclusive answers to personal situations that I may not be, I will say something, but <laughs> but take that with the, how do you say in English, with a pinch of salt or something, because again, I, I, I don't like to be too absolute and conclusive in with people and situations that I'm not fully familiar with uh, because I, I don't consider that very, from my part, very sensitive and respectful to just, no, you have to do this and this is what you have to do. This is what's actually going on. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't want to play omniscient here also either. <laughs> but according to what you mentioned, of course, I can share some thoughts and hopefully they may help in something um, to begin with I wouldn't say that if, if you I mean if, if you have some connection with people that you really feel uh, when we use the word attached as you use the word attached I mean the question wouldn't be so much that's wrong good or bad but the, the question is attached for what reason in which sense no? because for example just for us to to not develop a, a rejection to any to every form of attachment, Srila Prabhupada will 
say that Krishna consciousness is the science of attachment to Krishna, not the science of detachment. So our tradition is not about rejecting, but about integrating everything, aligning everything with Krishna in the center. We talked about that in Namrasa's house two days ago, that actually everything, everything, <laughs> everything, and every person, of course, are connected to Krishna. Krishna is the center of everything, and everything is interconnected with Krishna in the center. So strictly speaking, there's nothing to reject. There's nothing to reject. The only thing to reject is the wrong vision that there are things to reject. I quote to Prabhupada saying that to a disciple. No one disciple came to Prabhupada and said, I'm willing to reject everything for you. And Prabhupada said, the only thing you need to reject is the idea that you need to reject something. <laughs> There's nothing rejectable, only the wrong vision that there are things to reject. But actually everything can be properly accepted if we are able to connect that with Krishna. Of course, in certain stages, we may not be able to do that. And sometimes we may be advised, okay, take a distance from that. Not because that is bad, but because I don't have the capacity to see Krishna in everything, which can happen. <laughs> so relationships, again, if I am attached to someone in a way that that's degrading or that's distracting or that's like confusing me, Okay, we may consider taking some respectful distance from the situation. And, and as I told Ramdas also a few days ago, even if we take the distance, we shouldn't do so like, okay, I'm distancing from these people because they are bad influence for me. No, we should be humble enough to say, I'm taking a distance because I don't have the capacity to deal with these people in a way that is inspiring to me. It's not their fault. Because if not subtly, we may throw this like, oh, they are not devotees, so I better take distance from them because they are not as enlightened as I, as I am or who knows what we may be thinking. I mean, I'm not saying you are thinking that, but sometimes it happens. So we should be humble to say, okay, in certain social dynamics, I may not be able to deal with other people from other traditions, from other situations in a way that is not disturbing to me. But that's my lack of capacity. Not to enter into a guilt trip either, but just to take responsibility. In certain stages of my practice, I, I may need to be a little bit more uh, sectarian, so to say. There is a place for that. It's okay. As Sila Prabhupada will say in the beginning, he gave the example of the fans. So he was in the beginning of one's practice. Our practice is like a very soft and fragile uh, but and sometimes the example is given of the seed of bhakti and the vine of bhakti growing and giving leaves and flowers and fruits. But the beginning, the vine will be a little bud. It's bud, yeah. bud. It will be budding stage, and we will be very susceptible to influences and winds, and may like very easily become uprooted, so to say. So sometimes offense is required in the beginning no? to protect the, the fragile bud from. External forces, so to say. The external forces are not bad, but the bud is quite fragile yet. So the fence is for protecting that in that initial stage, but he will say eventually the bud, properly protected, will grow above the fence. I will realize, oh, there is a whole universe outside the fence. But when the time comes for the bud to see that whole universe, 
it's deeply probably rooted already, so it won't be disturbed by what's going on outside the fence. <laughs> Sometimes we may we may need some fence in certain stage of our practice. Again, I'm not telling it's your case, I'm just giving general ideas. So we get protected with, from certain influences that we are not able to manage yet. It's not that they're bad, just we are too fragile yet. So we need that fence, but eventually we will grow above the fence and realize, oh, and I, we can deal with that because we will be bet, in a bit, rooted in a better way. So, so I will say basically that. You know, like, I mean, if you have people in your life, that, and I'm not talking only to you, I think it applies to all of us. If we have people in our life that even before meeting this tradition or whatever tradition one is committed to, and there, had, there has been nice experience. There is some sort of indebtedness or affection to them because we feel we learn from them or they have been like significant companions in our journey for one reason or another. I mean, I don't think there is reason to reject them or say I need to take a distance. I mean, we may feel the need to take a distance so I absorb myself in this new tradition and eventually, we may like to share that with them in a natural way. Of course, also, we have to be careful not to impose that on others because that happens sometimes. Like we learn the new thing and we are on fire with our new discovery and we want the whole world to embrace it. And it may not happen. Or let's be more honest, it will not happen. <laughs> and we even may feel some backlash because like, we will come with all this rush of inspiration and the other people will see that like you are a fanatic now and you're too extreme and in some sense they're right <laughs> i mean we may not be discerning too much and we are just like throw the whole thing on them and this for them it's like what's going on I mean, two weeks ago you were a normal guy and now you're coming with all this new stuff <laughs> so we have to be also empathic and understand what's going on on the other person but sometimes it's not we are not able to empathize in this moment we are too much engrossed in our own experience and it's okay i mean it's part of life but in time we have to become more sensitive about okay each other's situation each other's necessity capacity to process and and which example we are giving also so we may need some we may feel the need to take some time to properly process this to give a nice example to others and be willing to share that thing that has blessed in as a natural way. Okay, this blessed my life so much, and I love you so much that I, I would like also to for you to discover this that has blessed my life, but also with the openness that that other people may not feel the inspiration to embrace the path as I am embracing, and it's okay. Also, it's not that okay. All my friends from the past have to become now devotees, so we we continue being friends and the, as devotees now. But if they do not become devotees, they are no longer my friends. No, no, we don't need to reach those places. I have lots of friends from, I mean, maybe not lots, but a, few, a good number of friends or, or people from my past, if you want, so to say, my past before connecting with Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, and they're not Gaudiya Vaishnavs, no, but it's okay. You know, it's, I, I, I love them and, and, and I appreciate their role in my life and and I wouldn't say that that's attachment, like it's an attachment that is dragging you down from your practice and will distract you from, from I mean, you, one has to be sincere and, and be introspective and, and vigilant and look, okay, I'm getting distracted or not, why I'm getting distracted. 
observe myself on a daily basis. What distracts me? And take proper measures in that. That requires daily vigilance. That's not so easy, but that's part of the sadhana also. Sadhana doesn't mean just I finish my rounds on, or I do certain stuff. But it's how do I deal with my inner world? How much attentive I am to what's moving inside of me day after day after day? And to pay attention, if certain situations trigger me in a certain way, hmm, there's a pattern there. Why the trigger is coming there? What should I pay attention to? So, yeah, some thoughts. I don't know if something of that may feel fit into your particular situation, but... Um, yeah, but, but don't, don't whatever the case. I mean, it's part of the journey to to go through some of those chapters also. No? So not to feel like overwhelmed or or why this is happening or this shouldn't be happening. But it's it's a natural experience in the journey. So also to feel normal in, in that. No, it's not like I want to get out of this chapter as soon as possible. And I want everything to be perfectly clear and in place. That, that doesn't necessarily have to happen in that way. No? So it's, it's good to allow ourselves to, to have our ups and downs. <laughs> Not that we are looking for them and we are lazy and hypocrite, but also to be realistic. No? Spiritual path will be, will be a whole journey. So it's, it's not like it's like this. All, all is like this. <laughs> it may have its undulations and so on, and, and it's okay. It's part of life, so... To make the journey sustainable, it's good to not have like over expectations also. Like this should go in this direction and, and we conceive a type of superhero journey. Now we have to have the, the hero's journey you know, to, to take the turn back, take the turn from Joseph Campbell and others. And the hero's journey has to do with we have to it won't it won't be the superhero's journey, the heroes, and the hero's journey implies descent and and and, and, and trying to face our in his words, our demons, our dragons, our subconscious in the world of Carl Jung and some other people. So, it, as I talked yesterday, you know, there will there will be moments of doubts, messiness, of crisis, and and it's okay. I'm just trying to make that clear for you because if you are practicing relatively recently and and you hope to practice for a long time, those things will come, and it's not a problem. It's not a I'm failing in something because everything should be perfect and ideal and uh, idyllic. And it may not happen like that. And each journey is unique also. No? So watch out for comparing yourself with others' journey. Like, oh, this is happening to me, but this is not happening to them, only to me. And probably it's happening to everyone else, but sometimes, as we talked the other day also, no? so unfortunately, sometimes people is not very open to share what's actually happening to them internally and a spiritual journey and we end up putting a mask of performance and like we come to the temple and everything is like mm. so you may you may wrongly see all these people <laughs> and think like oh my gosh i'm having these struggles and these guys are all like this so everything is perfect for them no but they also have the same problem but sometimes they're making a show of everything is okay <laughs> So it's important to know, no, no, we are all, all of us in it together sharing very common experiences and that's, that's describing the scriptures also. So, so I put in my book, let's try to normalize 
the things, not to traumatize the things. No? So, anyhow, some thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Now, Russ? Questions from Instagram. Question from Instagram. Wow, I didn't know that you could receive questions from there. Yeah. Um, who is sending the question? You can know who, it, who is the person yeah, is or not? Radha Damodar from England. Young boy who, who drove you in England. Yes. Um, what is the best way to study scripture? Not just to be a jnani, but to actually absorb Siddhanta deeply with the right intention. To have a method of your own that you can share. <laughs> well, I have not devised a method of my own, so to say. But, of course, I've I've learned from different practitioners, even from different traditions, interestingly, a few ways of approaching Shastra. And as I mentioned before, it's it's not that there's only one way that it has to work perfectly for everyone. I always like to keep the thing radically personal. (laughs) So it's not like, okay, this is a way to study Shastra, and there's no other way, no other way, no other way. There are different ways we can approach Shastra. Uh, We can study Shastra. uh, uh, And and it depends on the necessity of each person, on the the stage of the situation of each person. But, of course, I will emphasize a few points. One of them will be, while it's it's important to study scripture and it's beautiful to study scripture, I love it. But also it's important to do it uh, under the guidance of someone, especially during the first periods where one may not have too much capacity of actually understanding what the scripture is saying. <laughs> that you're reading a book doesn't mean that you're understanding what the book is is, is saying. Like once I was hearing a devotee who was telling, it sounded like shocking in the beginning, but he was saying like, not everybody should read. In the sense that there are some people who doesn't know how to read. I mean, not how to read literally, they know reading, but some people have not developed certain cognitive abilities to understand what the book is trying to tell you. And they may take the book and, and make chaos. I mean, we know lots of people who in the name of the Bible, uh, and not only on the Bible, in the name of the Bhagavad and the name of Bhagavad Gita. I can talk, I can give examples from our own tradition, people taking the scripture and, and creating chaos because understanding scripture out of context, partially cherry-picking statements that, that result more comfortable to justify their own agenda. Oh my gosh, the list is so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying even in some cases these people, ill-motive people, just innocent people that just read something and understand it as best as they could. So it's important to to read with the help of a guide or, or also to read Shastra through the commentaries. That's another way of saying that. Like, for example, here we have Srimad Bhagavatam and Srila Prabhupada's commentaries. No? So there's a reason why there is a tradition of commentaries, not only Srila Prabhupada, but we go back to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, Sanatana Goswami, Jiva. I mean, there is a, a, tradi- a reason why all of, many of our previous chairs wrote commentaries on these books. It's not just because 
I have free time, so let's write a commentary on the Bhagavatam. No? <laughs> I have nothing to do. It's because we need those commentaries to actually make sense of what the text says and what's the purpose and what's the intention. Because if you just go to the verses, I mean, they are powerful and beautiful in themselves, but what capacity do we have to actually understand what's going on there? I mean, I've heard people that just go went through the Gita and I thought, okay, this is about war. This is about war. Even worse, this is about killing your relatives. <laughs> I mean, you take the Bhagavad Gita out of context, you become a serial killer. I mean, I'm not pr promoting that just in case. Don't, don't cut my lecture and put it out of context. <laughs> but, I mean, it can lend itself to it if you are really incapable of understanding what's going on. The famous... Uh, um, What's his name? Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer, the one who created the atomic bomb. When the atomic bomb was exploding, there were there was a particular uh, test I think they made, and he quoted one verse from the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is saying, "Here I am, the, the, the time, the devourer of all, and so on." So somehow he connected Bhagavad Gita with the atomic bomb. <laughs> of course, he ended up going crazy eventually, unfortunately. But my point is that, no, I mean, Bhagavad Gita is not about creating atomic bombs and, and destroying the whole world. But you can take it from that place if you don't have proper guidance, proper understanding. So, so that's an, an, an important point that, of course, is in the scripture. Because the other day, I remember also, uh, Deva Madhava Prabhu was giving a lecture in the Progressive Vaishnavism Conference, and someone asked him, Okay, but if someone doesn't have access to Sadhu Sangha and association with other practitioners and guides, is it okay if one can just read the scripture by oneself and and that's it? And and it was funny because uh, I mean, while I was hearing the question, I was like hearing in my own mind what I will answer to that question. And when Deo Mado answered basically exactly all the things that I was thinking to answer to that question. So it was okay, we are on the same page. <laughs> And the basic point was, of course, is it okay that I go only to the scripture and I don't take connection with people? But you go to the scripture and the scripture will send you, to, will, will emphasize you have to take connection with people, with practitioners, with Sadhu Sangha. Now, I don't need Sadhu Sangha, I only need Shastra, but Shastra is pointing to Sadhu Sangha over and over again. <laughs> if you actually go to Shastra, you will end up go connecting with sadhus because that's just pointing as a natural thing. So that's that's an important point to begin with. Of course, also it's important to that the study of scripture is done uh, sequentially, so to say. It's not like, okay, I like the cover of that book, so I'll start with that one. Now, maybe you took, I don't know, Gubindali Lambert or something like that, that you should read maybe, maybe after four lifetimes or something. <laughs> So to say, I don't want to put it that strict, but just that's not a beginner's book. That's my point. No, you shouldn't be distributing that one on the street just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so there are different books, as we were talking yesterday with Ram Dutt. No, he was asking like about introductory books that, that I will consider recommend and so on. So the point is, there are books for an audience who is just who knows minus four of Krishna consciousness, not even zero, how to introduce them to that. 
other books for people who are already studying and so on. There, there is a sequence in there. So it's not just like pick the one you like the most. Of course, you may just take one book without understanding too much and there may be some inspiration. I mean, I recall that in Prabhupada's times about sometimes we're distributing Chaitanya Charitamrita mm -hmm. in the street to newcomer to people and, and they may maybe they got like volume of Mahaprabhu in Gambira. <laughs> crying in separation and, and hitting himself and his head on the wall and and I wonder what that people felt when they read those sections <laughs> but of course I'm not in denial okay there there is some power in, the, in those narratives and some effect may be there but probably if they happen to go to the temple after reading that want to know more probably they will be say okay let's go to Bhagavad Gita or let's go to this introductory book and we'll reach that book you received eventually again. <laughs> now, to further understand that, let's go here. So, so I think it's important to have a sequence of study. And again, each case is unique. Each person is unique. So although there is some idea, Malaprabhu will make a general sequence in terms of okay, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhattan, Chaitanya Charitamrita, of course, those are not the only three books in our tradition, but three of the main ones. And of course, I will also emphasize that particular sequence in connection to those three books. But there are so many other books in between that that can help. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes even there are some books that we have the classic authors, so to say, but also sometimes we have the contemporary authors and that's also required, no? as I was talking yesterday. Sometimes also it's important to have books written in contemporary language by contemporary authors addressing contemporary issues uh, in connection to our practice. And that will, they will make our study and our connection with the practice quite relatable. Because sometimes it can be difficult to read something written for a society 5,000 years ago, 500 years ago in a language from that time. It's beautiful, but at the same time, we, I mean, parampara means, parampara, parampara means one after another, one after another, one after another. And each member of the parampara is making their contribution. One of the contributions, Prabhupada will say, is in the form of literature to keep the process not only updated in terms of language, that's one side of the equation, but another one is updated in terms of new realizations. It's not that all, all, whatever the all Acharyas say, that's all. Nobody can bring any new realization. No, no, there are always new realizations. By the grace of them, we can say something new. That's how it works. By the grace of my guru, my poor param guru, and param parat, parat parat guru, we can say something new and more. So that's, that's also an important thing. Again, have some guidance, have some someone that helps us to make sense of what we are reading, but even before that, know what to read, or as I said, know if we are ready to read, <laughs> or maybe if not, prepare our minds to, and sometimes again, before giving the book, we may need first to hear from someone personally and ask the questions and clarify if we are understanding correctly. You know, part of the questions and answers is to make sure I'm getting the idea right. Because there are no questions, probably the, the guru, the sadhu cannot know what I understand. They may self may ask, what did you understand from what we just say? And probably we will share our understanding. I say, 
Oh, no, no, no. I didn't mean that Bhagavad Gita is for atomic bombs. That was not the purpose. <laughs> we need to, to be corrected in that. That's part of the dynamics, guru-disciple dynamics. That's why the Gita say, Pariprashnena Sivaya. Pariprashna, pariprashna means you have to inquire from the guru. Inquire means present questions. And when you present questions, the teacher can know where you are, basically where you are standing at internally, according to the questions. If you are sincere in your questions, as you should, it's not that, okay, I will present the fancy questions so I, 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 I'm seeing as very elevated by everyone, although it's not actually a question I really need and feel, but I will do that performance. That's not honest question. And the, Bhagavad, and the Bhagavad Gita suggests honest inquiry. So honest inquiry, yesterday we, we talked about honesty. Honest inquiry means... Ask something that is relevant to the situation you are in internally. Don't ask something that is not relevant to your life. Ask something that is relevant to you. So the teacher can know, oh, you are in that particular stage, in that particular level of inquiry. Not that the teacher is judging you, but it's just like to have an accurate idea where you are. So I can reply to you from where you are. <laughs> so, so that's an important aspect of the study of the scripture also. You may read a book and you may have 3,000 questions and you need to write them down and clarify them. That's something important. <clears throat> and something that I, I will add, one more thing, of course we can continue talking on this topic so much, but there's one more question at least here. Some other form of approaching scripture that I like a lot, and this is not coming from the Gaudiya tradition, but it's a beautiful example, and I quote that in my book, of how sometimes we can import some practices from other traditions in a way that is not, not doesn't go against our own tradition, but it's actually can be nourishing. And I've been sharing this with other Gaudias who also agree with me in, the, in this particular connection, which is a, the Christian practice of Lectio Divina. I don't know if you heard that about that, but it's very interesting. What basically that means, Lectio Divina is in Latin for divine reading. So what they do is just like they will take some section of the scriptures or even memorize, commit it to memory or, or take the section or read, or read the scripture. And when they find a passage that hits them, so to say, some quote, some line, some section, they will stop the reading there. And they will kind of, they will kind of reflect upon that you know, and, and try to ruminate. On, on that idea as much as they can and try to extract as much as they can from that particular line that hit us. And after they, they kind of extracted the most they could in their own capacity, they will like start to pray, you know? pray to God for further revelation beyond one can reach by oneself. You know? So what does this mean to me? And what does this line means to me? What does this line mean to you? What do you want to, to reveal to me? You know? So they will like take a time to contemplate and meditate and pray for further insight. And eventually whatever comes as a result of that prayer, they will kind of commit themselves, okay, I will put this into action. How do I translate the result of this prayer into action, into my daily life? And then they will move on to another section of the scripture. <laughs> so it's a type of contemplative reading, so to say. Because sometimes we read and we are just like, mm -hmm. 
I have to finish my 10 pages every day, or I don't know. I I made about to finish the book in this month, which is okay. But be careful of just making it just about to finishing the whole thing. It's like chanting rounds and just thinking about when I reach the 16. And it's not, as I say, it's not about counting, it's about chanting, not counting. At the end of my life, nobody will ask me, how many rounds did you chant every day? Nobody will ask me a number. The question will be in terms of quality, which was the quality of your chanting. Like sometimes they make the joke, uh, like Rupa Goswami, which is one of our main acharyas, he didn't chant 16 rounds every day. Hmm. Probably he didn't chant even one round per day. Because he started chanting, and after half syllable, he passed out in ecstasy. <laughs> End of your daily round. No? He was three hours crying and rolling on the ground and seeing Krishna. So you can ask him, Rupa Goswami, how many chant- rounds did you chant? Did you finish your 16? You finish your lag? I mean, <laughs> you follow my point. He didn't complete even one, but the quality was such that that half syllable is way more than all the rounds we have chanted till now, probably. <laughs> With this, I'm not dismissing your commitment with the number. We already talked about that, but we need to put all this in perspective. So reading, again, is also not just about finishing the book, reaching a number of pages in certain time, but trying to take time to, to enter into that. Because for us, scripture is not a book, like something that is a museum thing. Like it's always the same. It's there. It's something alive. It's something that has so many layers of meanings so many levels of, of revelation. So we have to approach Shastra, approach the book with, with this humility. You know? Even we can also pray before opening the book. You know, in turn, not just like I open the book and I'm knowing the book. I'm reading the book. I'm, I'm the, the subject and the book is the object to be grasped by me. That's not so healthy. <laughs> I am an object in connection to the supreme subject that reveals through Shastra. So I think that's also very helpful in terms of approaching and studying scripture beyond the more technical aspect, what to read first, what to read second. What's the attitude I have when approaching the holy name, when approaching worship in the altar, when approaching prasada, when approaching the sadhu, when approaching scriptures. All these are sacred items, so to say. You know, they are not ordinary stuff. So we have to watch out not to like to become accustomed to them. Oh, yeah, Bhagavatam. Give me the Bhagavatam. Okay, yeah, this is today's prayer. Okay. Prashant, oh, yeah, Prashant. And you kind of make everything normal and ordinary. You lose sight. Oh, this is extraordinary. Even it's part of my daily life. It remains extraordinary. So we have to be watch out not to, as I say, not to take Krishna consciousness for granted. No? I already know what Krishna consciousness is about. I read, oh, Bhagavatam. I read Bhagavatam three times already. I, I understood Bhagavatam, as you say yesterday. I understand God. <laughs> Be ready for ending up like Brahma with the four heads like this, as we say yesterday. Hmm. So it's, that's an important point. I, I, I will never understand the scripture fully. I can only touch something by its, by its own grace, but always remain open for further revelation. Further. That why, what, that's why there are so many commentaries on the Srimad Bhagavatam or any other books. Because there, there's never enough you can say about it. Once when Prabhupada finished writing his commentary on Bhagavad Gita, someone asked him, so what's the next book you plan to write? And he said, I'm thinking about 
And he thought, probably I can write a commentary in the Bhagavad Gita. And the devotees were like, but Prabhupada, you just publish a commentary in the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Prabhupada chuckled, like, like meanly. And he told them, like, you can write so many commentaries in the Bhagavad Gita. Like, imply it's not that this is it, nothing else can be said about the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, that's against the nature of the infinite message. Again, Bhagavad Gita is speaking by the infinite. How can you say there is the, the only commentary that can be nobody can say more than this? I mean, that's against the nature of revelation. I think some of these considerations may be even more important than just the technical aspect of how to address the scripture, but which is the, yeah, the inner spirit to appreciate it. Okay. There are any questions here, there? Um, so in, in dealing with loved ones who aren't um, taking care of themselves, really, or, or in touch with their potential, or who, who are lost in a lot of obvious ways, what is the... And I know you don't like have a definitive answer or conclusion for this, but how how do you walk the tightrope balance between loving them in a detached way and letting letting Krishna work in whatever way Krishna needs to with them versus being honest with them and, and nudging them in a direction that might be better for them? Mm-hmm. Because I, I know you can't fix anybody and you can't lead anybody who's not ready Mm. to to anything Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's it's like that that honesty thing you were saying yesterday where it's like especially loved ones if i see somebody not taking care of themselves i i I instinctually want to say that and it's I don't know if they're willing to hear it, and that's—I don't know if that's my place. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if you could say a few words on mm-hmm. finding the balance between those two. Yeah, I mean, I think in your own in your question, there's somehow the answer is already included, and, and, and but because basically it's okay. It's—I mean—it totally makes sense what you mentioned. Someone is about to to walk and, and fall into a cliff, so to say, off to a cliff. And even the person doesn't know there is a cliff and I'm, I'm about to kill myself, you will just jump on them and throw yourself on them to save them. Although it may sound like you're imposing your will on that person's agency and you're not respecting the... No, no, they they didn't know they want to kill themselves. So I'm trying just to... Uh, <clears throat> but... I, I will say in, in, in brief, to begin with, it all boils down to how much the other person is willing to accept help. Um, because some people is willing to accept help. And, and there we are. We want to offer that. But some people is not willing to accept it for whatever reason. Uh, and we can also force ourselves into their lives and, and live their lives ourselves you know, because that can become dysfunctional in its own way. Like, okay, I I know you're suffering. I know you're going through this and I know what you should be doing, so to say. <laughs> but even if that's the case, we cannot do it ourselves. They have to do it themselves. That, that's, that's a way of respecting their 
the human dignity and allowing them to have their own lives. And of course, having their own lives sometimes means suffering and learning through that suffering. You know, sometimes there is this saying, there are, two, there are two ways to learn. You can learn listening or you can learn suffering. <laughs> Some people learn listening. They are able to listen. They are open. They value advice. They, can, they are honest enough to feel, yeah, this is good for me. They are learning. They don't need to go through every single Boom, boom. Okay, okay, I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> but some people need that, that treatment. Not because we wish them to suffer, but if you need this, that suffering to learn, may you suffer. <laughs> Not may you suffer, may you learn. But in, in between there will be a suffering. Okay. And most of us also go through that as well. So, and of course, I personally, I've been in, in, in both sides. I think all of us have been in both sides you know, of the equation. So we can also apply some empathy in both directions. We have been on the side of being stubborn and, 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 and receiving some good advice, but it was not the moment we didn't have the years to listen. And we were very much like, no, 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 this like this. I wanted to do like that. And the other person said, okay, <laughs> fly, you are free, do whatever you want. You are not listening to anyone. So you are too much like self-centering your own convictions. Uh, and we need to have the experience ourselves and, and prove, oh my gosh, this was a dead end. I suffered so much. And you, hopefully we return like, sorry, I was not able to listen to you. You were right, but I didn't have the eyes to see, the eyes, the ears to hear. And of course the person, if it was a real well wish, I would say, it's okay, no problem. It happens. It happened to me also. Now it happened to you. <laughs> And again, we have been also on the other side when we are witnessing someone, someone else being in denial, basically, of, of, of certain realities. And, and, and as much as we suffer from, for them, it's not that we, we will avoid the suffering. We have to be, there has to be a healthy recognition if, in, in terms of, I cannot live your life. I cannot force my own will into your own, it doesn't, it, it has no meaning that you do something only because I'm forcing you to do it. No, you need to do whatever you choose. You need to do it because you, you, you voluntarily choose to do. You understand why you are doing it. Not because I'm like, how do you say like coercion? Co co coercion. Co yeah. It, it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, I can force you, manipulate you to do whatever I want you to do. But if you really are not choosing that, what's the value of that? How much you're learning the lessons or, so sometimes, yeah, with lots of pain, we have to, to take some healthy distance and pray for that person, as you also mentioned. And that's a way of continue remaining a well-wisher. And we should, should not underestimate, I would say, the power of what we may call inter intercessory prayer. Do you say in English, intercessory? And when you pray for someone else, okay, there is a term in English, something in the, to that effect. Prayer is very powerful. Prayer is very powerful. If you're really doing it seriously, that's, I mean, that's one, one devotee say, the, the whole world keeps in orbit because of the prayers of the saints. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because if we are just putting on the scale the, the sinful activities of most people, <laughs> no, planet Earth is collapsing. <laughs> but even the presence of a few saintly people who are really praying, that keeps the whole thing going on. Even you will never know who they are. Probably there are a few bunch of guys hidden in their caves, so to say. <laughs> but that creates such an effect. So that's my point. Sometimes 
sometimes the, the best thing you can do for someone is to pray for them. And we should, my, but again, we should not underestimate that. Like, oh, only pray for them. Mm, I would like to help him in a more concrete way. That may be our attachment to wanting the other person do what we think he should be doing. And, and, and sometimes that happens. We are too much with a very, how to say, uh, definitive idea. This should be happening to him. He should be doing that. And we are attached that to that to happen, that to happen. That's the lesson we need to learn. I have to let go. <laughs> That's not what's supposed to happen. They need to go through. But they will suffer. Yes, but we need to suffer sometimes. I'm not being masochist here, but try to think about your, your own life from where you are till to the past. How many times suffering had a purpose for helping us to, okay, this was the lesson. I need to change in this thing. Maybe there's no suffering at all. We may not learn basically no lesson. We will remain in a comfort zone, so to say. So... <clears throat> So I will make that point, yeah. Sometimes we need to take distance, but distance doesn't mean uh, indifference. Mm -hmm. We are not being cruel. We are not being indifferent. We are just caring for that person from another place, from another perspective, which will be, the, in some cases, the only possible one. Because the closer I get to that person, the more irritated the other person I get. <laughs> so... I don't want to put that person in anxiety also by getting closer and closer. So I, I have to, I can try, of course, uh, we will try as much as we can, but if we try and it doesn't work, try a second time, it doesn't work. Try a third time, it's getting worse and worse. <laughs> I won't be stubborn and insist, insist and make that the person more and more close. You know? So I will take some healthy distance and pray and trust the other person's uh, integrity and honest honesty and okay they will go through some situations and hopefully after that they will learn the lessons as i myself have been in his her situation so again we have to be empathic and not feel like you're stupid you don't learn anything you only will learn by suffering okay i'll throw you in there and learn for yourself and i'm angry and that's not the way the way is i've been in your situation and i know that sometimes i need to hit my my head into the wall so but I will be with you in prayer because that's the only way I can be with you in this moment. But I won't leave you. I will keep with you, supporting you. And, and in time, there is there is a result of those things. You try to imagine if that person was whatever doing something that it was not correct, close-minded, you take this and you pray for that person from your heart. Eventually, the person realizes, oh, I was such a fool and I suffered so much, but now I realize how you want to help me. And you share to that person, I was praying for you all the time during this period. So you can imagine which, which type of effect that will have in that person. That will be probably an epiphany, completely transformative. And, and again, there was, there was suffering in between, but the end result was like a completely moving, transforming situation. And probably the person needed that, and, 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 and you or whomever needed that to be there also as well. So, anyhow, some thoughts. I hope that helps. But I think in your question, you already had an intuitive sense of, again, where to go, what to do. So, yeah, we need to be willing to be helped. If we are not willing to be helped, we cannot just like force ourselves there. But there's always a way to help again, and the last resource, so to say, but one of the most powerful ones is is prayer. Also, always. 
even if we can help the person concretely, the person is hearing us. And we can also pray for that person. It's not like I will only pray for you when you are not accepting any of the other forms of help. Not, not okay. It's only eight, five minutes, but if there is one more question, if you want, we can. I'm giving priority to those present here for those who are sharing some questions online. Sorry if I, I sound too cruel for you all. <laughs> Ram Das, yeah. I was triggered heavily by Ben's <laughs> question um, in a good way, not like the modern way of saying triggered a lot. Um, but the, uh, um, you know, the, the jumping off the cliff kind of analogy where, you know, someone is, mm -hmm. is uh, about to take a really bad misstep. It made me think, I once <clears> asked the uh, person who distributes the most books, in uh, maybe this world, of the Prabhupada's books at least, I asked him, well, how do you distribute all of these books? And he said to me, when I go out there, I see that I'm the only thing standing between them and hell. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I like kind of like meditated on this, even as you were describing this. And, you know, the, it is very urgent, you know, that we're all like in this material world and um, we're, it, it, who knows what happens if we don't, you know, how long it'll take us to reach this type of platform to come across a devotee or come across spiritual knowledge. Or mm -hmm. Who knows how long that could happen and, it, and so how do we you know one keep that urgency for ourselves and not get complacent but also in in our sharing with others to to see how urgent actually this this is that yeah we could let them go you know like and um but we also did we try our best you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. not giving up too early like mm -hmm. what's the yeah you know, how can we keep that urgency mm -hmm. as, as like the top of the, the scale of how crucial this this really is that people make the most advancement that they can? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think somehow I reply in one way to that in the sense of I mentioned to Ben that we have to try mm -hmm. to help the other person mm -hmm. once, twice, thrice, no. It's not that okay. I try once, or oh, you were you were not accepted. Okay, good luck. No, no, I'm not saying that because again, there's this sense of urgency, this compassion uh, that we should naturally have for everyone. But also, there is there has to be some discernment. I mean, in in terms of as, as you I think may know, or or any book distributor, any person may know, not everyone is fully ready yet to embrace all that in the same level if not everyone will be a saintly person in this planet and that's not the case <laughs> so also we have to be realistic not indifferent again somehow we have to continue with this flame of urgency and compassion and we try to help and that's why i say okay i cannot help you directly whether by giving you the book or by speaking directly or by helping you directly i will be praying for you so that speaks about the urgency in you know, taking different shapes. Because if I just try to convince you of something verbally, so to say, uh, and it's not entering, it's not entering, 
my sense of urgency just takes me to repeat the same thing over and over again till you become more and more frustrated and disturbed with me and you want to have anything to do with me. <laughs> Your sense of urgency is not working properly because you are repelling the other person. No? So we have to also like watch for the symptoms, so to say. If my sense of urgency is making you repelled by what I'm trying to share, uh, I think I will <laughs> adopt a different strategy here. I keep my sense of urgency because I understand the value of, again, human life and the potential and, and, and the potential loss of it and so on and so forth. But it will have to take different shapes according to each situation. So, and, and again, we have to be realistic and, and sometimes accept not everyone is fully ready yet, at least not in every level. And, and I wouldn't also say go to black and white like either you become a devotee or hell is waiting for you no i, I think there are so many in between stages also there i mean I, I know that people is heading towards its worst possible destiny by the way they behave some of them but there are many people who are spiritual religious pious in many ways are open or, or it's just a matter of some time and it's not maybe the moment yet but give them a few years, so to say. I think all of us also went through that. I mean, I received my first book when I was, I don't know, 16 or something, and Perfection of Yoga, and I, okay, nice. I continue. <laughs> but maybe two years after came the Bible at Gita, I was like, where is the people practicing this? Went to the temple. After two months, I was leaving the temple, and here I am. So, so we have to understand right? everyone has their own situation in the journey. And yeah, we have this sense of urgency, but we have to, yeah, to be attentive to how my sense of urgency is impacting in the other person. Is the person repelled by that? Or should I re reshape my sense of the way I express my sense of urgency? Because there are different ways. It's not just you have to read this and you have to surrender to Krishna and, and please, because if not, you will go to hell. Um, that may not be the best way to approach them. I'm not saying you're doing that, but just I've heard people doing that. So, but it's, I, I, I appreciate it's healthy to keep the sense of urgency, to keep, uh, but, but more in the sense of compassion, universal compassion, because also that sense of urgency, I've seen that also can like, uh, how to say can transform into more of an attachment to to getting people saved. No, like, okay, I did it. No, I saved him. I preached to him. He became a devotee. And, and it's not so much universal compassion. No, it's more about like, or, or even sometimes that, that I mentioned in my book also. Sometimes we would like to see the whole world chanting Hare Krishna, so to say. Let's take over the world and rest. <laughs> That's an internal joke with him. <laughs> so sometimes we, someone may think, I would like everyone to be a devotee. But sometimes it's not so much because of universal compassion. It's, so, it's because of weak faith that I'm not so convinced myself about being a devotee. So I need all of you being a devotees. So that somehow confirms me, okay, everyone is doing the thing that I'm doing, so I must be right. <laughs> I need all of you to confirm that I'm in the right place because I'm not able to come to, 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 to have enough faith to be convinced by myself. You follow? So that, but they takes the shape of universal compassion. I would like everyone to be, the, but actually sometimes the background is I need everyone, all of you chanting Hare Krishna. So you 
confirm that I'm doing the right thing because I'm not sure of myself. Sometimes that can happen also. So we should like, again, be introspective, like, which is the background motivation. Is there genuine compassion, genuine sense of urgency, trying to, to extend the gift that redeemed me and extending that to others in a generous way? Hopefully so. But there can be other templates disguised as universal compassion, disguised as a healthy urgency. So it's important to have that in mind. But again, we should be expert in, in crafting, so to say, how we express our urgency in a way that is relatable to other people. And, and even if it's not relatable in any way, we always have the chance of praying for, for, for those persons. That's what in Shastra is said. No? You have to love God, have friendship with, your, with, with other practitioners, be kind with the newcomer, and take some healthy distance from the envious person. But even that distance from the envious person is to be done in service to that person. All, all these four templates are service. No, I, in service of, of God, I love him. In service to the devotees, I, I'm friends with them. In service to the newcomer, I'm generous with him. In service to the envious, I take a distance from him or her. Why? Because if I get closer to someone envious, it doesn't work. The person will become more envious. So I have to take a distance. It's not that I want to take a distance. I have to. And I'm doing that in service to the person. That's the only service I can perform to such a person, unfortunately. But I still want to serve him. So I take that distance. And from that healthy distance, I pray from that person. Yeah, it's intercessory prayer. That's that's it. that's the word here, but Teresa sent the idea. Anyhow, some thoughts about urgency, compassion, and on other topics that came today, which were very interesting and nourishing. So thank you so much to all of you for your questions. And we'll conclude here for today. So again, my deep gratitude to all of you here in Syracuse. It has been a very Beautiful, charming experience. Hope this is not the last. Let's see what Krishna, Sri Gornita have in, in mind. Sri Man Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Pramanan Hari Hari Go, Vanchakalpataru.